0: So I periodically do um, a kind of two-week series and I'm doing that now but it's fine because you can either listen to it, um, we have everything available through our website, or um, just pick up where um, we're starting tonight. Last week's talk was on the power of intention and how our intention, what our motivation is really creates our life experience. But I wanted to start tonight by... um, Asking, let me just see if I have this here. Yeah, how many of you watched the uh, video of Susan Boyle? Can I see by hands? Okay, so we represent the population. How many hands? Up. How many of you don't know who Susan Boyle is? And don't be shy. Okay, so we've got a great. It's spare, but <laughs> 100 million hits on this. Um, So, I want to start with Susan Boyle because everybody else is starting with her. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, this was on uh, Britain's Got Talent. It's like American Idol. And uh, for those that don't know, Susan Boyle came on the stage and kind of a a matronly, dowdy, unstylish woman in her late 40s. She kind of appeared kind of cheeky and a little foolish and told the crowd she wanted to be a great singing star. What you saw when they panned the crowd were um, eyes rolling and smirks and people kind of smiling at each other going, (laughs) look, who wants to be a great singer? And So it was kind of um, disparaging. And then she sang. And she sang um, beautifully, really beautifully. And you watched again the panning of the crowds. And people were just... First, they were shocked and then there was this kind of explosion of celebrating her and loving her and being enchanted. What everybody was struck by was this this raw purity of heart and talent. A lot And a lot of people were crying because they had dismissed her. They hadn't taken her seriously. So I've been really reflecting a lot on how come 100 million plus hits on this, what, what about this really has really struck such a deep chord? And what seems real to me is that it's a purification for anyone that watches because each of us, we know this, that for each of us there's this archetypal theme of not seeing the good, not seeing the beauty, not seeing the soul, kind of seeing just the, the mask. And it's so ennobling when we can see the spirit of another are ourselves. And we know the suffering of not being seen. We know that there is some some goodness or love in us that's not understood or seen. And we know that so much of our time, others are kind of unreal others and we don't really get who's there. So this was kind of this collective experience of the mask falling away and seeing a, the shining quality of spirit. And it awakened that purity in anyone that's watching. I mean, there's a reason so many people are crying. So I wanted to begin with that because the Buddha described our our deepest suffering as not seeing the truth of who we are, ignorance, ignoring what's here, ignoring the secret beauty as it's been described. So last week I was describing with intention that when our intention is narrow, in other words, let's say those in the crowd, initially their intention was to be entertained and have a good time and feel superior and maybe get a little bit of fun out of making fun of, you know, it's just kind of more ego-based. And then the intention dropped very deep to really celebrating life, a kind of reverence. So when our intention drops, our entire life changes. So that if you're in a conversation with someone and you begin the conversation with some, some way you want to prove yourself or be seen or in some way control something, that's going to have one outcome. And if you enter a conversation and something in you wants to really know who that being is you're seeking to understand what a different outcome and what a different place that you're coming from. You're coming from who you are rather than a a kind of a narrow ego mindset. So in many spiritual traditions there is an understanding that this remembering what matters, as I say often the most important thing is remembering the most important thing, is a homecoming, that in any moment that we drop from the narrower kind of ego intentions of get more comfortable, avoid things going wrong, prove ourselves, whatever it is, to oh, really, who am I? Or who is this being? Or can, can we in some way be in that presence that celebrates this spring, that sees the red bud, that sees the red and the green, that, that really is here for this life? we're living from an entirely different and more free place. So there's a training in becoming mindful of intention. And I think of it in two parts, that one part of it is really taking the time to reflect in the deepest way on what matters. And the other is just in our moment-to-moment experience because it's a given that we get hooked on narrow intentions. Every one of us, we get caught in our striving and and resisting and defending and our intentions get narrowed to become aware of that so that we move through the day and at times we notice that we're operating under the motivation to kind of control or to numb or to prove and at other times there really is an intention to serve, to take care. So just brief little vignette a priest sees a young boy reaching to press a doorbell and he walks over and he pushes it for him now what he asks run like hell (laughs) so you can have really incredible intentions and who knows what's going to come of it but it's where you're living from I just love that So let's just take a moment to reflect on today because I like to kind of bring it to, let's, let's do a brief kind of review of intentions by just looking at the day we've just lived up till this moment. And you might let your mind sweep through the day and often what we, what we notice or what we, what we did, and that's okay. But as you noticed your doings, your activities, see if you can sense into what was the quality of beingness. Was there um, an intention towards presence or towards serving, towards loving, towards appreciating? so that without any judgment, just to kind of sense hmm, what what level was I living from? Without judgment. Maybe you'll notice that it was a pretty self-focused day in the sense of trying to feel better by getting things done, trying to get your way, trying to avoid another person in a certain way, anxiety about things, preoccupation. That's okay, just to notice. What many of us find, the Buddha Buddha basically taught that we're in a trance a lot, living from unconscious intentions to kind of seek more comfort, pleasure, avoid more pain, To basically make things different and better, that that's mostly what the intention is and that it's by beginning to notice it that we drop into a deeper, richer, more pure place. We suffer when we make our home in small places, when our aspirations are set low. You can open your eyes if you'd like. D.H. Lawrence, who I quoted last week, I think puts it really well. He describes how we're not free when we're doing just what we want. We're only free when we're doing what the deepest self wants. And then there's getting down to the deepest self. He says it takes some diving. And I think that almost encapsulates this process of living from our deepest and more awake intentions is that we spend a lot of time in trance, operating off of the more uh, more tight, narrow intentions and it takes some diving, it takes becoming mindful of where we are. And we're going against the currents. In other words, part of the the, um, the shock and the beauty of the Susan Boyle incident is that the real habit mostly is to look at the masks, see who's beautiful, expect the beautiful ones to do really, be successful, look at the mask, see somebody that's dowdy or whatever, expect them to fail, celebrate, the, you know, it's just, we're, we're in this habitual mechanical response to our world and there is such a power to the moments when that collapses. So we're going against the currents of the culture when we step out of our habitual intentions and drop in. And one of the big currents of the culture is that the intention to do more, to achieve more. In other words, we're fixated on doing, not being. So it's not so often that we feel, oh, my intention is just to be right this month." That doesn't happen so much. It's 99.9% my intentions to do something, get something more done, relieve stress, prove myself. So a friend uh, who teaches uh, yoga at a big yoga center heard a parent talking to another person about his son who had been unemployed and he was saying, "Yeah, hey, he's a volunteer in the program here at this meditation center and he's learning how to meditate. And the other person said, meditation? Well, what's that? And the father said, well, I have no idea, but at least it's better than sitting around and doing nothing, you know? LAUGHTER so when we think of intention, it's our intention is usually not just to come into stillness, right? And to be with what's here. Our intention is to do something. Similarly, in this culture, society, we're very conditioned to acquire and consume. I mean, we are affected by the commercials we've listened to since we were small. So there's that, that saying, We need Vidi Visa. I came, I saw, I did a little shopping. You know, it's like, that's our... <laughs> I don't know where I read that. but so. And then in our culture, it's very, very competitive. So there, it's, it's very instilled in us that to be okay means to be special and better than. It's very subtle, but we're constantly tracking who's better. You know, who's thinner, who's smarter, who's more beautiful, more handsome, more successful. And there's this something that, that w- doesn't get to feel safe and okay unless we're better. And part of it, even in spiritual communities, there's a sense of being addicted to progressing. We want to see that we're progressing. So the intention is to progress. So even in a meditation, we want to have a better meditation versus the purity of saying, can I just be right now however it is? You sense the difference in those two intentions? proving that I'm progressing than just completely opening to how it is we're addicted to self-improvement there's a story at Barnes & Noble one person says I went to the bookstore the other day and asked the woman behind the counter where the self-help section was she said if I told you that it would defeat the whole purpose you know, so... (laughs) So there's this cultural conditioning and then there's the deeper conditioning which is beyond culture for uh, our needs for for love and for connection and the different ways they express. One honest seven-year-old admitted calmly to her parents that Billy Brown had kissed her after class. How did that happen, gasped her mother. It wasn't easy, admitted the young lady, but three girls helped me catch him. (laughs) So just to say that It's natural that our intentions gravitate towards meeting our basic needs. And it's important to distinguish between healthy intention to meet needs and when our intentions get really narrow and fixated and less than healthy. Because we're supposed to have the intention to get food, to get shelter, to take care of our our physical well-being. It's like, again, this is another example. In kindergarten, first day of class, a teacher says, If anyone has to go to the bathroom, hold up two fingers. And there's a little voice from the back of the room asks, How will that help? You know? <laughs> I don't know where I got that. So, part of becoming mindful of intention is to recognize that it's natural and it's, it's part of our responsibility to pursue that which takes care of these bodies and minds and so on. But when intentions get unhealthy is when our basic needs are not met, which happens all the time because we're in a culture that is got a lot of distortions and dysfunction. So when our basic needs are not met because of the culture or our parents, then our way of pursuing our needs becomes fear-based addictive, grasping, and unhealthy. Does that make sense? The healthy pursuit of needs, and then when they're not met, we end up pursuing needs in a way that don't actually work. In other words, we go after substitutes. So if a young person happens to be the kind of maybe little boy who was bullied, there might be a tendency to meet his needs for safety and security by being domineering or bullying himself towards those that are weak when he gets older. Or if, as a young being, we're not attended to in certain ways, don't feel nurtured, there can be addiction to food or to sex. If we're shamed, there can be this kind of way of trying to meet our needs to feel better by self-humiliation, by self-punishment, because we're trying to make ourselves into a person that's there not going to be shamed again. We're trying to get better and atone for our badness. So again, this becomes part of mindfulness. We start noticing when we are rigged and and pursuing meeting our needs in ways that are unhealthy we find that most of us have some of that. And I want to share with you a story, I think I I might have shared it with some of you last year, that really, I think, exemplifies uh, the way we respond to unmet needs. My mother always assured me that unspeakable punishments were bound to befall any child as naughty as I was. If I were you, she'd say, I'd be afraid to go to sleep at night for fear God would strike me dead. She would speak these words softly, regretfully, as though saddened by her errant daughter's fate. I thought myself unloved and unlovable, not only by my own mother, but by God himself. In addition to threatening me with thoughts of eternal damnation, mother also gave me a fear of strangers, germs, disease, and food poisoning. A precocious and imaginative child, I added to the list some bizarre fears of my own, rare ailments learned from medical dictionaries, falling into the wrong dimension, spontaneous human combustion. (laughs) When I was suspended from my private girl's school at age of 15 for a harmless prank, the headmistress referred to my behavior as damnable. This was no big news to my mother or me. What was news was I had the highest IQ and the lowest grades in the entire student body. I took pride in the fact that although I was a dysfunctional underachiever, at least I wasn't stupid. The most devastating words my mother ever spoke to me came when I had asked her if she loved me. I had just been escorted home by the police after one of my many attempts to run away, so it was bad timing on my part. She answered, How could anyone ever love you? It took me almost 50 years to heal the damage from all her ugly remarks. Recently discussing eating disorders with my therapist, I related a childhood ritual of mine, intending it to be an amusing anecdote to illustrate how far back my eating problems went. I even laughed as I spoke, poking gentle fun at myself. It was only when I noticed that my therapist was watching me with sympathy rather than amusement that I became aware of the tears on my own cheeks. This is what I told her. From the age of five or six until I was well into my teens whenever I had trouble sleeping I would slip out from under my covers and steal into the kitchen for a bit of bread or cheese which I would carry back to bed with me. There I'd pretend my hands belonged to someone else a comforting, reassuring being without a name an angel perhaps. The right hand would feed me little bits of cheese or bread as the left hand stroked my cheeks and hair. My eyes closed. I would whisper softly to myself, there, there, go to sleep. You're safe now. Everything will be all right. I love you. Can you hear in that story the deepest intention to be loved, to feel love? and how the intention then became fixated on food and out of that, the suffering. When our intention is fixated in an unhealthy way, we become identified as the addictive self, the overweight self, the uncontrolled self and this is the karmic chain of events. So what was important to the Buddha was freedom from this chain of reactivity. If there's an unmet need, that rather than fixating and using substitutes, we come back and feel the unmet need and respond with presence in a way that allows us to drop to the deepest intention. What's really the intention? Because if that woman could really rest in that deepest intention, If she could say in some way, and you can just mentally, you can close your eyes and sense the sound of this, please love me. If she could go to that, please love me. And then underneath that, if you just sense what those words are like, you might mentally whisper them. And know that each of us has a longing to feel love. Please love me. If she could go to that level of longing and intention, that she would be coming home to love itself. Because when we get that in touch we get into a very pure present place and the love that's already here becomes accessible because there is love here. But the pursuing of the false substitute blocks it. We can't feel it then. So the Buddha's teachings are how to break the chain of reactivity that comes when our intentions are contracted, are grasping, are filled with aversion. How to break that chain of reaction. And it begins with what we sometimes call the sacred pause. That there's no way to break out of the chain reaction when we're caught in a kind of narrow or confused intention without pausing. Otherwise it just plays out. So we pause. And the pausing allows us to then dive as D.H. Lawrence said, to drop in and pay attention to what's going on. So I'll give you an example of of diving, of bringing mindfulness to what's going on in a way that frees us to our deepest intention. This example is a woman um, that told me that she had for decades a standoff with her older sister and she the this the younger sister was the older sister' is kind of very conventional this younger one as as happens in families was kind of the one that was always getting in trouble and um impulsive and more radical and so on when and when she was younger she 'd get into trouble but even as she got older, she would say the wrong thing or come from a different with a different perspective and there would be a lot of irritation and friction between them at one point such a um an Outbreak that she wasn't invited to one of her to her niece, one niece's wedding. But what had happened? This happened several years ago. Is their dad had died and the mom was sick, so they were forced together for the holidays. And so she approached the Thanksgiving holiday, and she was just ready for difficulty. And um, as it happened, they got into she and her older sister got into a disagreement about her mom's medical treatment she was of course proposing acupuncture and some holistic stuff and her sister says you know you're always trying to get everybody to do things according to your philosophy and it just it got nasty so this woman left the room and she went outside and walked and she went through what she had gone through 10,000 times which is why does she dislike me so much how come she doesn't understand me what's wrong with me that I can't make her like me or understand me, that kind of whole thing and she just doesn't care and so she started feeling that in in a deep way she could feel that unmet need was to feel understood and appreciated and she realized that there was no way she could ask that from her sister so she just sat and was present in a very, very kind way with that in her which felt that she really was not seen or appreciated and she just let herself feel it and the more she was present with that it was, I teach her a lot just putting the gesture of the hand on the heart because she was offering herself presence she was seeing herself she was seeing and understanding and appreciating that vulnerability and when she was able to do that and took a bit of time she realized she couldn't control her sister and she had to kind of give up on that expectation and she got in touch with a deeper kind of intention which was that there be... that she she have a forgiving heart that there be some sense of acceptance some possibility of connection from just letting her sister be who she was so that was... she went back into the house with that intention and it was in a prayerful way please may I just accept her as she is The rest of the evening, um, she had much less need to insert her opinions or defend or react. So there was no major outbreaks, no no major, um, you know, falling into each other's arms, but no outbreaks of hostility. But then they were together again uh, around Hanukkah and there was a lot more ease and at some point they were laughing together over some family story or whatever and then later that night her sister told her what a tough time she was having with her teenage son and something had shifted and her sister actually ended up by saying thanks for being such a good shoulder to to lean on or something like that. There was a shift and as she described it to me and I've heard others use this expression, it wasn't my will. My well would have been see me, understand me, appreciate me, but it was my heart's well. Let there be acceptance. Let us connect. So there is a possibility that the Buddha offers when we deepen our attention to step out of our karmic patterns. And every one of us has them. I mean, every one of us knows that we, if we look at certain close relationships that we, we keep reliving that in some ways our fears, our needs, our insecurities play out. Every one of us knows how that creates distance, how we're not able to be as intimate as we really long to be because of those patterns, how they stop us from loving fully because we get caught. So the inquiry really is, for each of us, how can we, in the midst of those reactivities, pause enough to begin to sense, okay, so what's really going on in here? What's the smaller intention? What's the demand, the need? Be able to, in some way, bring the kind of presence that allows us to remember what really matters the most. That's what frees us the flag of arriving in our deep attention just like the crowd when it arrived in that kind of purity of saying... of really realizing the beauty of celebrating how spirit flows through Susan and flows through us when we're awake the flag of when we're in our wisest intention and there's a few of them one is you feel really sincere there's something in you when you're really resting in the what really matters, there's a kind of um, a moisture, a tenderness, a sincerity for me it has a quality of innocence do you know what I mean by innocence? that that it's not contrived, it's not manipulative, it just has a purity that's one flag when we really come home another flag when we're really resting in our, our deepest Intention is that there's usually a quality of compassion there, both for ourselves, because we sense the needs that really need attending to, and for others. So intention, when we're really awake, has a quality of compassion. There can often be a quality of courageousness when we're at home. And, and what that means is that, that there's a sense that we're really um, being true to our, our deepest truths which is always edgy because we're not necessarily conforming to the way others want us to be and we're taking a chance that others might not accept us. So those are three flags of really being at home in our wisest intention. The sincerity, the heart quality of compassion, and a kind of courage that comes with that. So I mentioned there's two levels and one level of working with intention is in our day-to-day stopping and noticing, what really is my intention right here? For this woman, knowing she really wanted to get seen, get approved, get appreciated. Stopping at, in the midst of work, stopping before a conversation with somebody or in the midst of one, that's a really powerful thing. If you're having a conversation and you pause and internally you say, well, what, what's really my intention? it becomes possible in those moments to actually see what another person's eyes look like like if you really look and see what another person's eyes look like you start seeing who's living through those eyes our attention deepens so one level is tracking through our day and the other level is to begin as a regular practice to reflect on this question what really matters and to do it when we're meditating and as we get quiet because if you ask when you're busy what really, you're going to get either a kind of pre prefab kind of response Oh, what really matters is spiritual awakening or living with an open heart or you know, being peaceful and it's just a lot of words you know. or what matters is being compassionate but there's not like a, a visceral quality so this practice is really sitting, getting quiet, and really listening to our hearts and sensing the landscape of our life and really asking, you know, what, if you're at the end of your life looking back, what will have mattered? There's a wonderful um, teaching story from the Buddhist tradition in, in the Jataka Tales, and these are tales of the Buddha that in his earlier incarnations. And in one of these tales, um, the Buddha, there's a good merchant that's living in a village in North India. And he's in his shop and he sees a luminous being walking across the town square who's kind of radiating this divine, compassionate presence. And so this good merchant has this rising, this longing to serve that being and really to serve what is good in this world to serve healing, serve peace. And so he prepares a kind of a tray to offer of tea or whatever and, and he starts walking towards this, this, this divine being and he could feel the joy of following his own heart, that he's moving towards truth. So it's metaphorical that he's, he's gotten this inspiration to serve spirit and he's moving towards this being and then all of a sudden, as happens in these stories darkness the ground breaks open these demons come rushing out and appearing it's the voice of Mara who's the god of greed hatred and delusion and so Mara is like just just huge and loud and shrieking and roaring and the message from Mara is go back it's dangerous go the other way do something safe and easy don't do this you know that kind of thing so he's about to turn around and go back um, when he he pauses and he remembers that longing, that feeling in his heart that really longs to live truth that longs to be a living expression of love that longs to be at home in that highest intention so he carefully takes another step and another step, each step in full presence and and he finds himself, the display of the demons vanishes and there he is standing before the luminous being And this being says, well done, Bodhisattva, because this is an earlier version of the Buddha. Well done. And it says, walk on, walk on through all the fears and difficulties. Remember the calling of your heart. If you walk on, you will know a freedom and peace beyond all imagining. Follow the call of your heart. So in our lives, personal lives and spiritual lives, the ground breaks open a lot. It happens when we run into conflict with other people. It happens when we hit self-doubt, when we feel that we've failed in some way. It happens when our bodies get a diagnosis that's difficult. The ground cracks open and the demons come forward a lot. And they're basically, the message is, don't stay present don't be awake, don't be aware in some way exit out, you know get preoccupied numb out, leave blame, anything but being present when we have spent enough time remembering what matters at those moments that remembering is more available and that's the gift of practice if you come in here every Wednesday and something in you arrives and you say, okay, what really matters? And something in you knows that more than getting comfortable, more than being preoccupied, more than accomplishing, what matters is loving presence. If something in you goes, really what matters is having this life be lived from loving presence, just touching that a little means that when the ground breaks open, that aspiration will be more available, there will be more remembering. There's a understanding of the spiritual path that there's kind of three elements and they're not linear but they are useful to consider. And the first element is realization, that we intuit this divine, this sacredness, this beauty that's here and that, that that's our essence, that, we rea- that our very nature is loving presence. That's the first. That's what brings us here. We want to meditate because we want to quiet down and come back home to that truth and live from that truth. So That's the first, is that intuition of realization. The second is the kind of practicing that helps us get familiar with that. So there's more and more moments where we pause and we quiet a little and go, ah, in this silence, yeah, I can kind of sense that presence. And that presence becomes more familiar. Okay? So gradually we're less that story of a small self and we're more sensing that mystery and that presence. The third is called embodiment, where our very words and actions express loving presence. That it's not just familiar, it's lived in our moments. Each of us in this second phase, this remembering, getting more familiar um, need reminders. So it's part of the beauty of a spiritual path is to have friends and have spiritual community, have sangha, that help us remember we need to remind ourselves And I just got an email uh, today, this morning, of somebody who described a bit the process of this remembering what matters, this remembering to come home. And I wanted to share this with you. He says, My adult children have a hard time getting along you know, and he described how much they disliked the actions and attitudes of each other and their spouses and their spouse's family so that when they gather together at his place, he's very aware of the conflict. He says, I live in a house that is almost a hundred years old. Surrounding my house are some very old trees and I have one tree in particular that is so big and so old that it's slowly starting to die. This is out in Idaho." A couple of weeks ago I was having my granddaughter, four years old, and one of my grandsons, six years old, help me pick up all the dead sticks on the lawn from the tree and my grandson asked me why there were so many and I explained how old the house was and how the tree had probably been planted when the house was built to provide shade. I talked about how many people must have lived in our house before us and explored the possibilities of how many babies might have been born in the house and how many old people may have passed away and maybe how soldiers who had fought in faraway lands survived to come home to the safety of the four walls provided by the house and how happy they must have been when they finally saw the house and the tree as they approached after their long journey. Then I explained that I had read somewhere that trees and plants can feel people's emotions. This tree, I said, is so old that it is very sensitive to its environment, including the feelings of people who are near the tree. So when somebody says something bad about another person or calls somebody a name in anger, it hurts part of this poor old tree. Continuing on, I told them that if everybody who was on our property never spoke badly about each other, never called each other names in anger, it would be helpful to the tree, it might help it to feel better. Since that day, we have had several family gatherings, including Easter Sunday. During these gatherings, my adult children and their spouses have gone on their usual way about each other, but if it's an earshot of the grandkids, they quickly remind the adult about the tree. (laughs) reminding the adults that they not use certain words that might hurt the tree. And if truth be known, I myself have been reminded and gently reprimanded by the children to remember the tree. (laughs) This has evolved to incorporate all of those who come to visit. I had a good friend stop by the other day who used the word damned in a sentence and little sage spoke up and asked him if he would please not use bad words because it hurts the tree. Most recently there has been less negativity on my property. People are thinking before speaking and mindfulness is beginning to take hold. Oh, and how I've come to love that tree even more." (laughs) I loved getting this. Um, It seems so clear to me that we all have the conditioning to have thoughts and have words that we say that can be hurtful to ourselves and to others. It's just our conditioning. When there's unmet needs we react in reflexive ways to blame ourselves, to blame others we can act in destructive ways, ways where we want to destroy ourselves out of anger and hurt or destroy others. So it's just it's just the conditioning. But we also have within us this longing to wake up from that karmic pattern and as I began talking about Susan Boyle, we have this this longing to see past the mask and to remember the goodness, to remember the tree that we don't want to hurt and that vulnerability that's in every being we meet, including ourselves. In other words, we have a deep intention to revere life, to see the secret beauty, the sacredness, and revere it. And there's something incredibly purifying when we are in the process of acting out, when we're feeling the blame when we're acting towards ourselves or others in unkind ways and we can pause and we can feel the suffering of that and come back home to this deep, deep experience of wanting to love and be loved of wanting to revere the life that's here so I'd like to do a um, guided meditation with you, take just a few minutes where you'll have the opportunity to choose some, some chain reaction you get in and explore what it would mean to go diving and find a deeper intention. So I find if we practice here, then you can bring it more alive in the day. So come sitting however allows you to let your attention go inward... you might choose some reactive pattern that you have in a relationship that you'd like to wake up out of, you'd like to release or find more freedom or wisdom around. So it might be some difficulty or conflict with another person it doesn't have to be the kind of difficulty where there's aggressiveness it might be a difficulty that actually is just a way that you cooperate to distance each from each other but some karmic pattern where that interferes with intimacy Uh, and when you've located and i know sometimes there's not an example on the top of our mind so if that's the case for you just you know take your time and you can you'll get the gist of this you can do it on your own but just reflect on the last encounter that exemplified the distance or the difficulty or the conflict when you sense what you might have been saying or the other person or what was going on, you might sense behind that what was the motivation that you were bringing to the encounter. And you might, to find that, you might just sense what was I afraid of, what was I afraid would happen, what was I wanting. So that if you kind of kept deepening, kept diving to pay attention, sense what you were feeling in that encounter, you might sense what the unmet need was. What was the need that you had? Was it to be understood, to be respected, to be cared about, to be listened to, to be seen? to be safe. So you might sense when you were acting from that unmet need, when your intentions were coming from that, how it worked out. what was the karma of how you were behaving, the outcome. When you were coming from an unmet need, from fear, anger, hurt. take some time to pay attention to what you are really needing just as the woman I described with her sister really got it she really wanted to be seen appreciated pay attention for a little bit to what you are needing from another person or in a more deep way from yourself and you might if you would like just to um, connect more with yourself right now just to put your hand on your own heart and sense that you could look through the eyes of the most wise, compassionate being you can imagine at your own being at the place that has an unmet need and you could feel with the heart of a of a very compassionate being like a good friend or teacher or the Buddha and just offer that, that place, that unmet need loving presence as if you are saying to your own, the part of you that was not seen or loved, that you are here, I am here this moment, I care. So in some way if there is a part that is saying, please love me, you can let yourself feel that longing, even sense the mental whisper of those words, please love me. and sense in this moment that the love is here in your very presence. And now imagine that you can connect with the most highest possible intention for your next encounter. What would your deepest intention be? if you were to encounter this person again in a similar way. Maybe there several intentions. But just take a moment to sense what would be the most sincere and pure and awake intention that you could bring to your next encounter. And you might picture re-entering the difficult situation, staying true to these highest intentions. Just imagine that, take some moments. So it doesn't matter so much how the other is acting. Just imagine you staying true to that which feels most pure and real, the intentions that most feel like who you are. feel your intention to do so in real time, knowing that you will lose track of these intentions in this lifetime many rounds, but just the aspiration to remember will help them in time to become steady and strong. That there will be more and more moments that rather than trying to prove yourself or get something from others, there will truly be the intention to love, to see who's, tr- who's there, and to live from loving presence. It's as Thomas Merton says, he says, Then it was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the depth of their hearts where neither sin nor knowledge could reach, the core of reality, the person that each one is in the eyes of the divine. If only they could see themselves as they really are, if only we could see each other that way all the time, there would be no more need for war, for hatred, for greed, for cruelty. I suppose the big problem would be that we would fall down and worship each other. So we close tonight much in the way that we opened, just sensing what matters to us, sensing how we want to leave this room tonight, how we want to go home, how we want to be with those that we live with or work with tonight, tomorrow. just to feel that innocence and sincerity and our collective prayer that our reflections tonight our prayers, our meditations might ripple out in a way to touch all beings that all beings might live in loving presence that all beings might awaken and be free Namaste The teaching you have received has been freely offered. If you would like to contact the Insight Meditation Community of Washington to make a donation or to learn more about our programs, please visit our website at www.imcw.org. Thank you for listening.